Welcome to the Eastern Hills Audio Podcast. We exist to help as many people as possible take their next step towards finding community and following Christ. Maybe you've got questions about Jesus. Maybe you're good with Jesus, just not his church. Maybe you're feeling disconnected and want to reconnect. We think you'll find our messages both helpful and hopeful. So enjoy. Hi, I'm Dennis Murphy. I get to serve as the Director of Operations and Strategic Partners here at Eastern Hills. And that video that you just saw, I can't even tell you how much fun that was to make. Uh, Trevin and Stephen and I crisscrossing two counties, meeting with our local partners and celebrating with them the, uh, the, your generosity at the end of your giving. So that was just a riot. Um, I'm very privileged to be able to talk to you today about uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And this is wrapping up the Living Legacy series. Uh, I am the guy who brought the snow, not really, but I'm the guy who wrote in a recent devotional how much I love snow and how much I miss snow. And literally from that moment on, it started snowing in central New York. So I know we're not superstitious people, but if you wanted to, you could blame me for all of the snow. I know Rob sometimes does. Um, this is the gap Sunday between the conference championships in the NFL and Super Bowl Sunday. And um, my condolences, if you're a Buffalo Bills fan or a Green Bay Packers fan, I know that was a hard finish for your season. Um, and I'm just going to use a little football analogy here. Uh, we're going to call an audible. So an audible is where the quarterback changes the call at the line of scrimmage because he sees something on the other side of the line that the defense is doing that's going to uh, give them a hard time with the play they want to call. So our quarterback, Pastor Rob, is calling an audible, and instead of having one more week of Second Timothy, he's going to start a new message series called Citizen, and it's a really timely message about our dual citizenship as Jesus followers and how that uh, challenges us and what that calls us to. So you are not going to want to miss this upcoming message series, Citizen, and that starts next week. So I'm going to be talking about uh, chapter 3 and 2 Timothy, and specifically really all of chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, and... This is the completion of the Living Legacy series, uh, basically Paul's writings to Timothy, um, his apprentice. And some of the key points of Rob's message up to this uh, point here, Rob has talked to us about the fact that Paul is in prison. Uh, He's towards the end of his ministry and the end of his life. And this is during the time of Uh, oppression of Christ's followers by Emperor Nero. And here's a a key truth. Here's a key truth that I want to get to today. When we lean into the word of God, we live out the will of God. When we lean into the word of God, we live out the will of God. So in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, Paul describes the last days and how people will be and behave in the last days. And it's a pretty incriminating list. 
People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's a kicker. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. So when I read this list, some of it's incriminating. Some of those things I have been, and some of those things I continue to be. And it feels like we've been in the last days for quite some time now reading that list because it seems like people have been behaving like that for a long time. But Paul is describing what we call the messianic era, that time from Jesus's life and death and resurrection until he comes again. And that is the world. That is the broken world that we live in. Um, we used to think we would know when the last days were coming when the Cubs won the World Series, but that came and went, and turns out that wasn't what it was, that wasn't what it was about. But in fact, there's a lot that would indicate that the last days could be here. So this phrase, having a form of godliness but denying its power, what does that look like? That's the veneer of being religious. That's talking a good game when it comes to our faith. And most of us know how to do that when it comes to something like sports. You know, I can, I can uh, pretend that I know what a quarterback calling an audible is like because I watch the games. I can, I can pretend a lot of things about sports, but I didn't play much in the way of organized sports. So... I'm a poser in that. I can do the same thing with the arts. I took some art history. I was, you know, that was kind of my focus for a while. So whether it's the graphic arts or music, I can talk a good game. Um, but that's different from really, really knowing what you're talking about. And I just want to be vulnerable that I know what it feels like to be a poser when it comes to my faith. Um, for the first 10 years of my marriage, I was not a Christ follower, but I sure talked a good game. My wife and I are what would sometimes be called unequally yoked. She was passionate and on fire with her faith, and I was just going through the motions. And it is certainly something I wish I could change, especially since part of what happened in those first 10 years of our marriage was I started or we started our family. So you wish you could have that back. Paul is saying that there's no power in this form of godliness, in this veneer of godliness. And why is that? Well, it's because there's no life-altering, life-changing indwelling of the Holy Spirit that is happening for people who are just talking the talk and not really walking the walk. Talking about those slick, religious-seeming con artists, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins. 
So this is one of Paul's hard verses, verse 6. And I kind of felt like I drew the short straw when I was reading that I would be uh, talking about 2 Timothy 3. And I, I was, oh no, please, don't make me say the words weak-willed women altogether. And I can just say in Rob's defense that I sent up a flare and I said, help me. And he, he certainly tried. He certainly tried to help me with this. So 2 Timothy 3, 6 through 7 is a section that I wish I could avoid because it is a hard read for me. They are the kind who worm their way into homes. These are the slick, smooth-talking kind of salesmen of false religion. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Well, I guess the good news is that it's sometimes translated as gullible women. So you can just keep those cards and letters coming about, um, about the fact that I said all of that out loud. But let's unpack this just a little, and I'm going to do that quickly and nervously if I can. Because the chicken in me just wants to throw Paul under the bus and say, Paul said it, I didn't. Ask him when you get to heaven. Um, but in fact, there are, there's some historical context here that's worth talking about. The status of women in first century Roman and Greek society was quite different than it is today, certainly. Um, women could own but not control property. Uh, they couldn't participate in government or represent themselves in law or finance. Certainly, that's changed. There was a cultural bias that women suffered from weak judgment. Um, and it was made popular by popular writers of the day and philosophers like Cicero. And from a societal standpoint, they, uh, women, were vulnerable outside of the context of marriage and home. Even in Judaism, women were not allowed to study the Torah in depth. Um, they were supposed to dedicate themselves to understanding the very practical aspects of the Torah that pertain to running a proper Jewish home. So it's not hard to imagine that whether they were weak-willed or gullible, they certainly could be naive to con artists of Scripture. So it seems like Religion was often as big a scam in the first century as it's ever been. And that's really saying something, because it certainly has been abused forever. Paul says, and this is some good news, but they will not get very far, these perpetrators, because their folly will be clear to everyone. And I think that is good news. I think, unfortunately, Sometimes they get away with more than we wish they could. So I haven't met these weak-willed women Paul is referring to, especially when it comes to matters of faith. That's just not been my experience. But I've certainly met plenty of gullible people, and sometimes I've been one of them. I've never fallen for a religious scam, um, but I have to guard against other kinds of misinformation. When it comes to life, which would you rather be? 
guarded or gullible. So what is it that preys on weak-willed people these days? Sometimes it comes on a screen that looks like this, a lot like this in my house. Sometimes it comes on a device that looks like this. It's advertising, it's marketing, it's sometimes even the news. And it's certainly the peer pressure that we all experience in social media. That can change our will. That can alter our understanding. And I think it certainly does. So Paul loves contrast. Paul sets up a lot of contrast in his writings. And the contrast that he gives to the world's message is his own life experience. And so as he talks to Timothy, he says, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. So Timothy was from Lystra. He may have had a front row seat to Paul's persecutions there. Paul gives two contrasting lists of positive and negative attributes. What are the lists for? Uh, note, he doesn't say about the first group, you, Timothy, go and fix them, work with them, uh, convince them. He says, instead, he says, have nothing to do with them. These are religious con artists. They are so flawed, and what they are doing is so evil that Paul is not going to distract Timothy with the job of trying to fix them. Paul goes on to say, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So the evil men will get their own. They will get what they deserve. They will constantly go from bad to worse and from deceiving to being themselves deceived. But this notion of persecution is a hard truth of Paul's writings. And I would say that persecution is always personal and that we have a promise of adversity. What does persecution look like today? We're not, most of us, being fed to lions or hacked to pieces. But part of it is this, can be the censoring of any opinion that points to God uh, that can be very easy to not see for what it is in terms of persecution. And here's a hard truth. The more we align ourselves with Jesus, the less we align with either the left or the right. We'll eventually find ourselves in conflict with the culture. We're the people who are to be the peacemakers. We are the people who are taught to love our enemies. And in this divisive culture that we live in today, that's unacceptable to many. That's unacceptable to the culture around us because we're not trying to pick sides as much as everyone would like us to do. So is it the extreme circumstances brought on by the global pandemic that is stretching us to the limit? Don't forget we have an enemy who wants to ruin us. He wants us to give up and to give in and to forget who and whose we are. 
And that is persecution, and that is oppression. Timothy has two things going for him. The key spiritual mentors in his life, certainly his mom, his grandma, Paul, plus his familiarity with Scripture. And so here's Paul encouraging Timothy again. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, again, guarding or gullible. Paul is challenging Timothy to guard the Word of God and to resist being gullible and fooled by anything or anyone else. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. So, the power of the spoken word. I just want to talk about that for a minute. All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by, spoken by, informed by, breathed out by. In Genesis 1, over and over again, the phrase, and God said, in the NIV translation, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. God could have just thought it. It would have happened. God could have delegated it. He could have said, you know, angels, you do this, you do that. Instead, he actually said it and he spoke it. And then John begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's our Jesus. With God in the beginning and the spoken word of God. The power of the spoken word. Amanda Gorman, the only thing social media appreciated more than Bernie Sanders' outfit. She was the inaugural poet, and I'm sure you've heard about this and hopefully heard her speak. She was the fourth ever person in that role, the youngest at age 22, overcoming a speech impediment. You can disagree with some of her message. You can argue whether or not there should even be such a thing as an inaugural poet, but you cannot deny her courage to stand in front of such a divided nation and to say anything out loud, I think, took an amazing, amazing amount of courage. Speeches versus writings, praying out loud, reading scripture out loud. Um, Why do we recite our wedding vows? Why don't we just exchange the paperwork, but instead we say them out loud to each other and to the people that are there, gathered there. 
From Romans 10, 9, Paul writes that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, this idea that we speak out loud the things that we believe most strongly. Paul goes on to talk about those things that the word of God is useful for. And it's not a feel-good, look-good kind of list. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Um, I was looking at that word rebuke, and I can't remember the last time that I was rebuked. Well, I can, but I don't want to get into that. But rebuking is a stern correction. Most of us as adults, we don't take very kindly to being rebuked, and we don't usually do that to others. Rebuking is when you, don't, when you want to stop your child from doing something dangerous. You say, don't cross the street. Watch out for that car. That's a rebuke. But I don't think Paul is talking about weaponizing Scripture to use against others. I think he's saying that Scripture is a way that we can correct and rebuke ourselves. We can hold it up against our own beliefs about a situation, and it can inform that situation. So that the man of God, the Scripture, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so this idea of Scripture equipping us and preparing us and correcting us. So I want to talk about something that I found fascinating, and it's about our modern attention span. Microsoft would tell you it's down to eight seconds and that it was 20 seconds in 2000. I don't know if that's true of me, but it feels true. A TikTok video is 60 seconds long, and I don't know about you, but sometimes around second 30, I've had enough of that particular skit. Vines, the vines were seven seconds long, and, and people love them. So maximum, maybe 20 minutes of attention span, and forgive me, but I know I'm going long. I'm certainly going long on eight seconds, and I might be going a little long on 20 minutes. But this is all a result of the information age that we live in. We are bombarded with information. And I would also say we're bombarded with misinformation. And with all of that to process, our attention spans keep shrinking and shrinking. Kathy Schreiber, who used to lead uh, family ministry here and uh, later on missions here, she would tell us as a staff that we should gear our programming to understand that people basically have one minute of attention for every one year of life. Now, there must be a cutoff point somewhere because I don't have an hour worth of attention, and I should have all of that. Trevin shared with me this, uh, this quote, we live in a microwave culture but serve a crockpot God. And I think that's, that's a great way to put it. Because if you think about it, the same God who gave us a 24-hour day and a 365-and-a-quarter-day year, 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of night darkness each day, Maybe not so much in central New York, but for a lot of places. 
that our babies would spend nine months in the womb. That same God, it's just hard for me to believe, wants us to be taking our life in eight seconds at a chunk, eight seconds at a time. Like Rob shared last week, we're all busy, and we use that as a badge of honor. How are you? I'm busy. How are you? Crazy busy. This last week, I was crazy, insanely busy. And that's not okay, because the most important things in my life had to take a back seat to what I thought was, were the things I was supposed to be doing. So the question is, we're busy doing what? And I would offer that each of us would do better by slowing down and savoring and focusing on the things that we know are most important. Because how you manage your short and long-term time will either help or hinder your faith. So make time to be with the Lord. Make time to be in the Word and to read your Scripture and to even memorize your Scripture. Because we all make times for the things, time for the things that are most important to us, don't we? I wouldn't think twice of driving to my favorite spot in the Adirondacks, even for a day trip, and that's a two-hour drive. I wouldn't hesitate for a minute to drive the hour and 15 minutes to see my daughter and son-in-law in Ithaca. I don't hesitate to watch a 90-minute movie, even one that I've seen before. So for the things that we really care about, we'll take the time. So I would argue that our spiritual life is definitely one of those things that we should spend the time with. So here's a next step for you to make time for Scripture, make time for God, but also make the call. And what I mean by that is pick up the old-fashioned telephone or the newfangled telephone because, again, remember the power of the spoken word. Consider calling someone you don't always agree with or have some unresolved conflict with. Start with the second tier of things, those things that you have in common, and show concern for them and listen more than you speak. In your posts, in your emails, in your conversations, let go of your need for affirmation and the need to be right, the need to win. Think about your audience. Who are you talking with? Our dialogue as a nation is broken right now. As Christ followers, we need to have convictions grounded in Scripture, courage that comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but we're supposed to use our voice for binding up and healing and not as a wedge that further divides. Guarding or gullible? So even in nature, guarding is wired into us. Guarding is protecting. You protect something that's valuable to you. I wear gloves in the winter. I wear boots, especially when I'm doing things that could cut my feet up. We protect our kids. We put them in car seats. We make them wear seatbelts. We do, we wear masks to protect ourselves and others. We protect the things that are most important to us. Paul is challenging Timothy to guard the word of God and resist being gullible and fooled by anything or anyone else. We hear that word guard and we think it's bad. I, I don't want to be guarded. I want to be open. I want to be open. But not with the word of God you don't. And not with the truths of your faith you don't. Those things you want to guard and protect. 
So I want to go back to this chain illustration that Rob has been using throughout this series. And as he's talking about legacy, he describes it as a chain. And for some of us, maybe we're one of the early links or even the first link in that chain of faith and that tradition of faith in our families. But then for some of the rest of us, a lot of the kind of groundwork has already been done. And we're coming on board further down. So the legacy of Eastern Hills is like that. I mean, I joined Eastern Hills and came on staff very far down a legacy of faith here at Eastern Hills, a legacy of generosity, a tradition of volunteering. And so I get to really, I get the strength of all of that. And I get to participate in the history, even though I'm down here somewhere. So I would encourage you to guard the word of God so you can share it with others. Guard it, protect it, invest in it so that you have it available to you to share with others. And let's pray. I want to pray for you and for that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power that it can have for us. Thank you for the truth that is embedded in it. Thank you, Lord, for Eastern Hills and for the legacy and tradition here. And I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless us and bless our future. Please, Lord, watch over our families Guard our households. Help us to invest the time that it takes to know your word. And help each one of us draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. If so, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast. For more information about Eastern Hills, please check out easternhills.org. We would love to pray for you. Email your request to office at easternhills.org. If you would like to donate to the ministry of Eastern Hills, click the donate button in the upper right-hand corner of our website. We look forward to connecting with you again next week. Take care. God bless.